Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Discombobulated. I am now officially discombobulated. Let's get at it. 
Um, been out for the past couple of weeks on vacation. Had a wonderful, wonderful vacation. Had a um, just my wife and I. We were in D.C. and uh, for a little bit better than a week, I think, and just did some of everything down there. Enjoyed the city. Enjoyed the sights. Enjoyed the people. Just had a nice, relaxing time for me. Um, my wife had a conference that she had to attend, so while she was attending the conference, most of the time. I was uh, just relaxing, just really relaxing, time along with God, a uh, little study, a little conversation, a little prayer, and just a lot of meditating and doing the things that I really like to do to get away and be quiet um, and sleep and relax and not prepare for anything but receive a lot. And there was a lot of we did a lot of receiving there and a lot of brainstorming, all kinds of stuff like that, but nothing that was not relaxing. And so I thank God for that. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Um, and again, I want to, it's time to get back on the case. We're in Chapter 20. Uh, we don't have that much further to go in this book, and we've been in prayer about where to go next. i got a pretty good idea now where we go next, but until... Um, I am absolutely sure I won't announce it it's because there's, it, things are developing and developing well, by the way. There's nothing wrong. Things are developing well. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight to say thank you. Oh, how we love you and how we praise you. How we bless your name. We thank you for covering us. We thank you for what you are doing within us. We thank you that Although we died, we live in Christ. We thank you for the life that we now live, a life that is hidden in Christ, a life that is empowered by Christ, a life that is for Christ. Oh, how we bless you. How we thank you and how we praise you. Now, God, as we walk through our study tonight, we pray that you would walk with us, that you would be with us, not only that you would be with us and be our guide, but be our teacher. Speak through us. By the power of your spirit, we ask that you would speak. God, how we bless you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If tonight is one of the first times that you've come out to our Bible study, um, we want to share something with you just in case you don't know what God has done for you. We want to share that your sins are forgiven. We want to share that Jesus died for you. And that not only did he die for you, that but when he died, he paid your sin debt. He paid for all of the wrong that you have done towards God. And in paying it, he gives us a chance. His, his is what we call the ministry of reconciliation. Because the Bible tells us that Christ was in the world recon reconciling the world, mankind, to God. And so his death allows us to come into the very presence of God, those of us who believe and by faith confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And we, that's what we did to get saved. We ex when we got saved, what we were doing is accepting the gift of God, his Son, Jesus Christ. And we acknowledged our acceptance. We acknowledged our belief that Jesus is the Son of God by making a confession of faith. Our confession basically said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. I repent of my sins, and I now ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. And what does God do in response to that? He saves us. He gives us the gift of eternal life. And then when we, as he gives us this gift, we embark 
on a walk with him, a walk of holiness. And what is a walk of holiness? It is a walk where we are being transformed into the very image of God. It is a walk where we become, where we are becoming holy. Not that we have already achieved it, not that we've already attained it, but instead we are moving toward it and the Holy Spirit is transforming us into his very image. And so if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that he is the Son of God, then I'd encourage you to make that confession and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior simply by praying that prayer that I just prayed, and it's just merely, Lord, I repent of my sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. It's as simple as that. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Right, We can count ourselves as saved. And so what do you do after that? Well, what I'm going to tell you to do is I'm going to tell you to find another Christian, another church, a pastor, and go to them and tell them, you know what, I confess Jesus is Lord and Savior. I'm saved, but I don't know what the next steps are. And you know what that pastor, that church, that Christian will do? They will begin to show you. They'll explain salvation to you in even more depth. And then they'll show you what your next steps are. You become a part of a great family. It's not just, you know, it's not just that local church. It's a worldwide body of Christ. And where there are believers all over the world who've made the same confession as you. And once, and once you get as a, as a part of the family, you're going to see some tremendous things happen in your life. It's not all going to be easy. It's not all going to be easy but it's all going to be good. So with that, hey, welcome to the family of God. Now, let me get, let's uh, just do a brief recap, just do a very, very brief recap of where we are, because I know, you know, some of you have been waiting for, for me to get back, and you've been studying with bated breath, and, you know, you're really, really up on this. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, I know what we do when, we, when the cat's away. You guys have been reading other books of the Bible. You guys have been studying other things and not paying attention to this. But that's good because guess what? This whole Bible is a wonderful, wonderful meal. And there are many, many good cooks out there. There are many good teachers. The Holy Spirit not only just uses me, but he uses many people. So I, but I know you all have been playing hooky. Anyway, I'm going to stop playing. I got to get serious again. I got to work on being serious. Okay, so when we left off, we left off with David having survived the rebellion that was led by Absalom. We left off with with Joab actually disobeying um, uh, David's orders. We left off with him actually killing Absalom. And then... um, and then, and, and then having to admonish David because David was so concerned about his son uh, that he wasn't concerned about the kingdom and how he was shaming the people for doing his bidding. And then after that, um, after a while, um, David wants to return to Jerusalem and he wants to return to the throne. And the people want him to return to the throne because they recognize that there is no one to lead them in battle against the enemy. Now remember, even though under David the enemy had been subdued, the enemy was still there. The Philistines were still there. All of the people, all of the enemies from Canaan, they were still there. David had subjugated them. But now there is an opportunity not only for rebellion within the kingdom, but there's an opportunity for the enemies that David had subdued to turn on Israel and and do to Israel what David had done to them. You know, even now if you study the Middle East, 
they got long memories over there. You get, as they say, you'll see the ups and downs of the Middle East. You'll see, you know, when the Shiites are, 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 are in power, then the Sunnis are getting it. And when the Sunnis are in power, the Shiites are getting it. And then you look from country to country. You know, one minute we're at Iraq, the next minute we're at Iran, and then the next minute we're over in a country that's really not a country, Afghanistan, and we're getting all, I mean, they just love some fighting over there. And sitting in the middle of all of the, these enemies is Israel. And Israel begins to wonder, hey, if the enemy comes at us, who is going to lead us into battle? Now, there is unity or a semblance of unity, but there's still tribal identity. David has taken them from a place of, of, of every man for himself or every tribe for themselves, and he's unified the tribes. And even though the tribes are unified and there's national unity and there's national worship and there is a covenant that, that keeps them bound together, there are still tribal identities. And not only are there still tribal identities, but if, you, if you've noticed in the teachings, one of the things that you still see is the ten northern tribes and then there is Judah and Benjamin. That are uh, that are are, are are more or less called the southern tribes, and if we extend our teaching over into First uh, and Second Kings, you'll see that those identities become even more. Those identities will become even more crystallized. And so, you know, David is David has got to deal with all of this stuff, and the tribes have called him back to be king. Uh, he remember there was the ten northern tribes that called him back for, first, and then he had to go back and deal with sent envoys into uh, Judah, his own tribe, to say, "Hey, everybody's saying come back. Why haven't you done it?" And so Absalom's roots had really sunk deep into those southern tribes. Absalom had a real good power base down in those southern. southern southern tribes, and then add to that Benjamin, uh, and the people of Benjamin, had still there must have been still a bitter taste in their mouth because Saul was a Benjamite. And, now, and the, um, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a son of your tribe was on the throne, that gave that tribe more prestige. But David had been placed upon the throne by God, and that left a bitter taste in the mouth of the Benjamites simply because they thought that the, the next king should be someone from Benjamin. And so when he finally convinces them to bring them back through some political maneuvering and some get back, you know, if you read that chapter, you'll find out that he's promised uh, Judah that uh, that that. Joab would no longer be the head of his military. And he did that probably because, and the Bible doesn't say it specifically, but my guess, and notice I say my guess, and I'm just looking at the political situation, my guess is because Joab had been disobedient one time too many, and he had been disobedient with something that was very, very precious. Yet this time he hadn't followed uh, David's order not to kill his son, not to bring harm, and Joab had intentionally killed Absalom. And so David is in the process of removing Joab and replacing him with Amasa, excuse me, with Amasa. And so he promises that he will replace him with Amasa, and so that placates the tribes. And they said, okay, fine. So then it comes time to bring them back. Judah and Benjamin are in the process of bringing them back. Or excuse me, Judah is in the process of bringing them back. And along come the rest of the tribes, and they get into it with Judah. Like, wait a minute, hold on. 
why is it that you are bringing him back to Jerusalem? How come you didn't tell us you were bringing him back? We were the ones that wanted him back first. So as we close out chapter 19, there's this big quarrel about, about who should be bringing David back. And so when we open up chapter 20, that's where we find ourselves because they are, they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And as they're going back and forth, you know, arguing about uh, their portion, their rights to bring back the king, all of a sudden something happens. And so open your Bibles to verse 1 of chapter 20. Now a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bichri, a Benjamite, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son. Every man to his tent, O Israel. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way from the, from the Jordan to Jerusalem. Now because David doesn't step in and decide and and is not decisive about what's going on and he doesn't get a coalition together and say look let's all do this together before he can resolve this issue another rebellion pops up some guy named uh Sheba blows the trumpet he sounds the trumpet now the sounding of the trumpet is usually for war, warning, or worship. War, warning, or worship. You know, in uh, Thessalonians where it says, and the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall get up out of the grave. Oh, excuse me, shall arise with a shout. I think that's the way it's worded in the King James Version. But in any event, what happens, that is the sound of gathering. That is the sound of gathering for war. That is the sound, the trumpet sound, when we're gathering for worship. And here, it is a gathering that says, look, let's assemble together to disassemble. Because we're getting ready to have a war with the house of Judah. If David is with Judah, then we don't want no part of him. Now, isn't it strange that just a few minutes ago, they're sitting there arguing that they, and their argument was, we have more shares, in, we got 10 shares in David. And somebody from Benjamin comes along who still is not right that David has the throne, still has not settled in on it. And he says, we ain't got to put up with this mess. We can go get our own. And so he sounds the horn, and the men go to their, their own separate ways. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? You know, one of the things that the New Testament church had to constantly deal with one of the things that the disciples, that Jesus talked about to the disciples, that we learn to be one. And one of the things that we are experiencing today in our houses, in our churches, within denominations, is disunity that is caused, that is caused by selfishness, greed, I gotta have my own way. I gotta have my own thing. I, do you see where that's getting us? I mean, even within the the house of uh, the household of faith, and when I say, say the household of faith, I'm not talking about just uh, Baptists or Black Baptists or Pentecostals or uh, those who call themselves Evangelicals. I am speaking about the entire body of Christ that includes both Catholic and Protestant and Messianic Jew. Uh, 
that includes all who call the name of God, who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's who I'm talking about. And when we look, we're constantly doing things that separate us. Excuse me, I was itching my back. Um, we're constantly doing things that separate us simply because somebody is not doing it the way that we think it should be done. Someone is not giving us what we think belongs to us. And so we begin to say, we got no part in that. And we throw up our hands. And subsequently what happens is we're weakened, we're divided, and our influence within the world is diminished to a point where the world doesn't pay us any attention. And not only the world doesn't pay us any attention, but look at the influence of rebellion within the household, your, your local community, your local church. Because there's division, there's a lack of strength. But even more, look within your own household. Because this one wants to do this and that one wants to do that, and none will come under the and none will come into agreement. You have just absolute confusion and family weakness. And the only time that we really come together as a family is when there is a tragic accident or somebody dies. We just came through. The, uh, the, the, the holiday season, the 4th of July. And I can guarantee you that there was more separation in families than there was unity. That if you looked around your table, somebody was missing. And if, you, and if, and if, if everybody came around the table, they didn't stay because they had to hurry off and do their own thing. Jesus says, a house divided against itself will not stand. And there is turmoil in our houses. There's turmoil in our churches because we are divided against ourselves. We've took the bait, and rather than succumb to the or submit to the order of God, we are submitting to our own order, we are reverting to the judges. We're, we have not learned anything this entire year-long journey through First and Second Samuel. We're still back at judges, and every man did what was right in his own sight. Spend some time looking at what is right, what God says about submission and love and order and unity, and compare to what we've just seen here. Now, they've just went through rebellion, and you would think, okay, we, we do that, let's move on. But there's still the seeds of rebellion. And one of the things that I encourage you to do, that I encourage everybody to do, is look at yourself and see the rebelliousness that may or may not exist within you and just make real sure that you submit yourself before God and say, God, is there any disunity within me? Is there anything that the selfishness that's within me, is there anything that needs to die that you might live and the body might advance? Verse 3, when David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to take care of the palace and put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but did not lie with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. What's that all about? Well, his concubines had been violated by his son, Absalom. Remember, he came out in the open 
and he slept with his father's concubines, thus showing that he was ripping the kingdom, that he was taking the kingdom away from them. That's how they did it in those days. And what he did was he humiliated these women, and he made it so that they could never be with the king again because if the king went into them, then you would have the laws of adultery kicking in on them. Because even though they were violated, even though they were raped, this would have been led to an incestuous relationship. It was against the law. He would be sleeping with the same women that his son had slept with. And so he would be he would be in a in an unclean, unlawful position. And so the best that he could do for these ladies is he could take and he could take care of them for the rest of his their lives. But he could he would never go into them again. They could never come in into him. And so literally, he declared their. Um, they lived as widows. They lived as if their husband or their master had died. And so he provided for them in that way. So he did the, the most honorable thing he could do according to the times. Verse 4. Then the king said to Amasa, Some of the men of Judah to come to me within three days and be there yourself. But when Amasa went to summon Judah, he took longer than the time the king had set for him. Uh, David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom did. Take your master's men and pursue him, or he will find fortified cities and escape from us. So Joab's men, listen to this, so Joab's men and the Carathites and Pelophites and all the mighty warriors went out under the command of Abishai. They marched out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. Here again, you see that, that, that theme of rebellion that's still weaving his way. And David is a commander and a king. He understands the military situation and he says, we have to deal with this Sheba. We have to deal with him when we have to deal with him now. So he calls his newly appointed general, this newly appointed head of the military, Amasa, and he says, get the men of Judah and let's go deal with, with Sheba. But Amasa decides he's going to do it his own way in his own time. David's not putting up with that. He bypasses Joab again, and he gets Joab's, uh, 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 I, guess, I guess Joab's brother, Abishai. He gets Joab's brother, Abishai, and he says, you lead him. And so they take out, he takes out uh, Joab's men, the men who have been loyal to Joab. He takes out David's personal bodyguards, the uh, Pelophites and the Carathites, and leaves behind uh, just uh, I think it's the Hittites. There's some there's a Hittite personal guard. Those are left with David, and they begin under under Abishai. They begin to go out to deal with Sheba and put down this rebellion. Because David does not want this rebellion to spread again to the ten tribes, to all, to, to, yeah, to the ten tribes, because he's already dealt with that situation once. They marched out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. While they were at the great rock in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Joab was wearing his military tunic and strapped over it as his waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. As he stepped forward, it dropped out of its sheath. Joab said to Amasa, How are you, my brother? Then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand as if to kiss him. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand, 
and Joab plunged it into his belly, and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of Bichri. Now, we've seen this before. We've seen Joab make this move before. Anytime Joab's position is threatened, Joab kills the person. Joab will kill him. Joab knew he had to kill Absalom. You know why he had to kill Absalom? Because Absalom was going to kill him. Because Absalom knew that Joab was for his daddy. And so, to take the, in order to get to his father, he knew that he was going to have to take this guy down. And Joab said, no, uh, no. self-preservation is the first law of nature when it comes to me, Bubba. We saw this with Abner. Remember when there was, when before uh, uh, David ascends to the throne and Abner is going to, Abner is making the way clear for for David to be king, and he has a meeting with David, and he leaves the meeting with David, and Joab comes and tells him, meet me over here, and they have the meeting, and what does Joab do? He kills Abner. So, I mean, this Joab was a scoundrel, but he was for his own self-preservation. Let's be careful with who you let around you, and these were these were these were uh, David's kinfolk. These were his cousins. And sometimes, when you're on a mission for God, only the ones who who who, who are on mission for God that can walk with you. There's some. I mean, uh, Jesus asked the question. When when Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him while he was do, while he was uh, working, they said, "Jesus, your mother and your brothers is outside." Jesus says, "Who is my mother? Who is my brother? My mother and my brother are they who do the will of God." And then he further says. If you don't, if you don't hate your mother, your brother, and anybody else, if you pick them before me, you can't have no part of me. That's the cost of following Jesus, that he becomes the love of your life. And I know sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, my husband, my children... Mm-mm. He doesn't tell you to hate your husband. He doesn't tell you to hate your kids. No, what that word what that word basically means is prefer before. Prefer before. So God, as I say, God becomes the head. God becomes the love of your life. Your husband is a, the love of your life too. Your children are the love of your life. But the capital T H E capital L O V E. He is God himself. He has priority. He has preference overall. It's not the way with with Joab because Joab is into self-preservation. And in our churches and in our homes, anytime we don't make God the head, we're moving into a position of idolatry. We're making ourselves God. Amen? Let's keep going. Because we're going to finish this chapter tonight. So he kills them, and then they go on. And now look, now it's not Abishai just leaving. It's Abishai and Joab. They formed a nice little, uh, I say, we brothers, you know, and so we're going to stick together. <clears throat> and that's one thing that the devil does better than the church any day. When there's devilment, when there's confusion, when there is a coalition, the devil's coalition will work together, 
Christians don't want will do not work together, and we've got to get better at that. Verse 11. One of Joab's men stood beside Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Make your choice who your commander is going to be because Joab is the commander who is going out to do David's business, bidding, not this guy, he did. So it almost makes it look like, you know, David has David has given the order. David never gave the order to kill Amasa. Amasa messed up by not showing up when he was supposed to. And then still, it could have been that Joab was going to lay in wait for him and maybe Abishai was in on it too and just going to say, hey, we're going to go this way, and then when we get up there, we'll take care of him. You're going to get your job back. You know, because the devil is always conspiring. Verse 12, Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road, and the man saw that all the troops came to a halt there. When he realized that everyone who came up to Amasa stopped, he dragged him from the road into a field and threw a garment over him. After Amasa had been removed from the road, all the men went on with Joab to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. Sheba passed. So these men were stopping. It was, he was stopping the procession. He was stopping the progress because they was looking at him. So they were just looking at him like, dude did. Wow. And they were wondering. See, he said, why they kill him and is this right and should we be going? And remember now, this is, Joab's men, this is the honor guard of David. And so they're scratching their head because they know something ain't right. But then after they move him out of the road, they just, just march on through. Verse 14. Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel Beth Makkah and through the entire region of the Berite who gathered together and followed him. So now Sheba is picking up some steam. He's picking up some men, and he's gathering them together. As they say, the rebellion is gaining strength. All the troops with Joab came and besieged Sheba in Abel Beth Makkah. They built a siege ramp up to the city, and it stood against the outer fortifications. While they were battering the wall to bring it down, a wise woman called from the city. Hang on, let me stop right here. So what they had did is they surrounded the city with Sheba and his men in the city. And remember we talked about what it was like to have a siege. They were having a siege. They were having a siege. And what the siege basically did, does is it says, nobody in, nobody out. They're going to starve them out. They're going to uh, drive them into a position of thirst. And in the meantime, they're going to start tearing that city down. They're going to surround them to kill them. Because everybody in that city is going to be judged as being rebellious because they got that guy in there hiding them. Whether they wanted to hide him or not, that, that this was the city, and they were going to get this guy out. Hmm. You ever feel like the devil doing that to you? You ever feel like that God is doing that to you? That because, uh, and, and supposition, just supposition, I'm playing around a little bit tonight to give you something to think about. You ever feel like you're surrounded and that you're Life. So somebody's trying to take your life. Somebody's trying to take your ministry. Somebody's trying to take your children. That you're under siege. Well, if you're a saint of God, you don't have to worry about that. Because God is your protector and your keeper. God is your protector and your keeper. And he that keepeth Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. That God has already declared that you belong to him. And that 
He is your shield. He is your exceeding great reward. He will hide you under the shadow of his wings. He will keep you from falling. He will protect you in the time of trouble. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is on the case. We don't have to worry about that. But when you're not a child of the king and the devil is doing his thing, you can get under the protection of God simply by becoming one of his and answering the clarion call that he makes to you when he says, come all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Let's keep going. While they were battering the wall to bring it down, verse 16, a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so I can speak to him. (coughs) He went toward her, and she asked, Are you Joab? I am, he answered. She said, Listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. She continued, long ago, they used to say, get your answer at Abel, and that settled it. We are the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You are trying to destroy a city that is a mother to Israel. Why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? She begins to reason with him. She says, wait a minute, why are you fighting against us? Why are you fighting against a city that gives birth to more cities and more people? Why are you being unwise to we who are wise? And he's answered in verse 20. Far be it from me, Joab replies, far be it from me to swallow up or destroy. That is not the case. A man named Sheba, son of Bichri, from the hill country of Ephraim, has lifted up his hand against the king, against David. Hand over this one man, and I'll withdraw from the city. Long and short, I don't want you. I want Sheba. I want the guy that is responsible for fomenting rebellion against the king. I want the guy who is responsible for troubling Israel. I want that cancer. That's what I'm looking for. What you think about something? How do you deal with the cancer? How do you deal with the trouble in your house? How do you deal with the with the 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 the, the, the rebellion that is within the house of God? Treat it like it's a cancer. You know, there's this thing called discipline that is sorely lacking within our homes and within our churches. There's this thing called discipline that we don't really understand. We've talked about discipline on Wednesday night. And what we what did we say about discipline? Discipline is teaching. Discipline is not just punishment for punishment's sake. Discipline is not just beating somebody until they're in compliance. No. Mm-mm. Beating is the last thing that you want to do. You don't want to do that. What you want to do is you want to teach, you want to reason, you want to show. And then, what does Paul do? Turn them over to Satan so they can learn but not lose their soul. You see, sometimes we have to turn things over. We have to put 
some children out. We have to give them what they have coming and let them go into a faraway place where they're sitting down eating pig slop so they can come to themselves. We cannot permit just anything in our homes. We cannot permit anything, just anything within our churches. There has to be discipline, but it has to be discipline that involves teaching and training first. And this teaching and this training must be done in love. So if you're doing it in love, it basically says that you, are, you commit yourself to the betterment, the, the welfare of that individual. What you're doing is not to control them. No. You're doing them to show you're doing what you do to show them the better way of Christ. That's what that's all about. And if they're not going to submit to the way of Christ, not your own personal, you know, whims and stuff and your own personal interpretations and, and you gotta do it this way because that's the way I like it done. Oh, get out of here. No. The way of the word, the way of love, the way of sacrifice. And you know, the, one of the reasons why there is no discipline is because we don't value people enough. We don't even value our kids properly. Because when our kids break bad, ooh, that door is opening quick. Ooh, I don't know how many parents, well, I can't wait till this boy get 18 years old so I can put him out. No, don't wait till he's 18 to deal with him. You deal with him now. You deal with him in love. You deal with him firmly, and you teach him the way of the Lord. And what does the Bible say? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart. See? When he's old. So you got to lay the foundation now. Is he, is he going to do some foolish stuff? Can I get a witness? I ain't talking about my kids. I'm talking about me. Yes. Yes, yes. He's going to do some stupid stuff. But as he does the stupid stuff under your watch, you correct him. You correct her. You teach them. You love them. And all of a sudden, they're get, they, they, they ain't going to like it sometimes. And they're going to get out there and they'll remember their lessons. Not only will they remember their lessons, they will appreciate their lessons later on. Yes, they will. They will appreciate that and like, oh, yeah, I remember my, my father told me about that. I ain't believe him. He used to say, I don't believe fat meat, that I didn't believe fat meat is greasy. But I know fat meat is greasy. It's not a walk of faith. Now I know fat meat is greasy because life done tore my behind up. And so we have to do that. We have to have a sense of discipline. Let me keep going. He says, I'm, I'm right at verse around 21. Hand over one man and I withdraw from the city. The woman said to Joab, his head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, and they cut off the head of Sheba, son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. So he sounded the trumpet, and his men dispersed from the city, each returning to his home. And Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. Now this is what he was after all along. Joab was over Israel's entire army, Benaniah, son of Jehoda, was over the Kerithites and Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was secretary. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. And Ira the Jerite was David's priest. So what we see at the end of chapter 10, 20 is David restoring order throughout the kingdom that the people, that these are the people that surrounded David and had part of David's administration. He, what we see here is the rebellion has been completely put down now and that um, 
David is now restoring order. When you put a rebellion down, when you get that devil out your house, you have to bring order. Remember the parable where they talk about uh, binding a strong man, and if and 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 if you when you bind a strong man and the house is swept and garnished, and then all of a sudden uh, he sees that house is empty, and he comes in with his he brings seven more demons back with him, and the state. Of the uh, the house is worse than it was before. Well, David is putting his people in order to bring order to the house. In that parable, what they're really talking about is uh, when when you get that demon out, you better get Christ and the Holy Ghost in there. That's really that's really what they're there. There's got to be some order. There's got to be a king. There's got to be some 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 as they say the ministry gifts involved. A lot of churches are suffering right now because there's no order. Um, And in many instances, uh, what you have is a pastor trying to do everything, and he hasn't got the right people around him. And he hasn't got the right people around him because, uh, for one, he doesn't recognize that he can't do it all. Sometimes it's a, a lack of availability, and then also that there's a lack of training. There's a lack of biblical training. Uh, In your own homes, a lack of biblical training, a lack of knowing the word, a lack of submission to the will of God, uh, the, the fact that you don't even, that many don't even know that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit of God, and how that works and how that operates, because of that, there's a lack in the home. Uh, the, the, you know, as a man of God or as a woman of God, you have got to, you have got to put order in your homes. There's got to be order within the church. And what is the order? Christ is the head. The body is submitted. Uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is filling us. How do we get there? Through prayer, through study, through fasting through discipline, through being trained in the things of God, through by faith executing according to the word of God. Is it work? Yes. Does it require discipline? Yes. But what does the Bible tell us? Study to show ourselves approved. A worker who needeth not be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got to spend time in the word. I've just spent almost an hour now with you, just on one chapter. And to be honest with you, all we did was scrape the surface. But what we wanted to show is that, you know, you, when you're, there's more rebels there. And, that, and David recognizes now what rebellion will do to the kingdom, what the lack of obedience, what the lack of unity does within the kingdom, within the household of faith, and how important it is for us to walk together as one. Husbands and wives, purpose in your heart tonight, we're going to walk together according to the word as one. We're going to go to God together in prayer as one. We're going to study the word, and we're going to come to understanding and agreeing as one. That's what we're going to do. That's the important thing. We're not going to allow rebelliousness in this house. We'll deal with a rebel in our house. We'll deal with the rebels in our church, not by putting them out, but by training and loving them. First, and then if not, let them get a taste of the devil. They'll be they'll run back to God. They will run back to God in a hurry. Amen. So, anyway, let's have a word of prayer, and let's call it a night. We finished chapter twenty. We'll be in twenty, uh, chapter twenty-one. There's still some more cleanup stuff involved in this because God is not letting us get away with nothing, 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 nothing because he wants to present us faultless. 
before the presence of his coming with exceeding joy. He's able to keep us. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you tonight for this blessing. We thank you tonight, oh God, for just getting us geared back up. Thanks for the vacation, but now it's time to strengthen us, oh God, in our endeavors. Strengthen those who listen and hear and give them understanding, oh God. Open up the ears, open up their eyes that they might walk upright before you and be pleasing in your sight. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful day in God. I will see you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.